Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. The time has come. It is our fifth and final week of spooky season. Parting is such sweet sorrow, but we do have at least a couple other spooky movies planned for the remainder of the year, so it's not the last of it. It's not the last of it, and honestly, I'm too obsessed with horror to not let it infiltrate every aspect of my life. For real. But this is at least, as far as theming is concerned, we we are at our last stage on the spooky train. Well, there's always next year. And whenever else I fucking feel like having a horror Well, yes, obviously we are a horror and Halloween (laughs) all year kind of thing. Because you're the kind of person who's like, oh, CVS, house decorations. We have to go to the house decorations aisle. Yeah, absolutely. Especially like November 1st is my favorite day of the year because everything goes on sale. And then I buy all of our home decor. What is the Halloween version of Black Friday? It can't be blacker Friday, because it's like, it can't just be dark Friday, like, it's not how it works. I don't think they even have one, and especially because so many stores are just absolute hot garbage about, like, oh, it's September 2nd, let's put out a Santa Claus. Fuck you. I think it should be, like, Orange Friday, because of pumpkins. Oh, I do like that. Orange Friday. All Friday's Eve. Yes. All Hallows Friday. Sure. (laughs) I don't know. Halloween, the epilogue. (laughs) So if uh, if you're joining us for the first time, I'm one of your co-hosts. My name is BJ Colangelo, and uh, who is this beautiful person right beside me? I do not look beautiful today. I am <laughs> quite a hot mess, but no one can see that, fortunately, other than you. And you think I'm pretty, so I'm your wife, <laughs> Harmony Colangelo. Yeah, yeah, you are. It's Aww. fucking cool saying wife. Isn't it? It's, it's pretty sweet, and by the time that this podcast airs, it will have been after what was supposed to be our wedding day, but we kind of said fuck it, because pandemic, and got married early, so I had to make that quick transition from, like, my future wife, because the word fiance is gross, to just wife, and it's... John, it feel good? It feels good. John Mulaney knew what he was talking about with his, like, oh, there's just some... Real... That's my wife! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's a... Uh... I'm definitely, I'm a wife simp. I'm fully aware of it. That's my cross to bear, and I'm not ashamed of it. That's well, we just had a, who I am. We had a fun conversation last night about what the, uh, the lady version of a chubby hubby is, and we came up with <laughs> wide bride. I'm a wide bride. I, You're my wide bride. Thank you. I try. <laughs> it's not quite as cute as chubby hubby, but you know what? I'll take wide bride all day. Yeah. I, I mean, 
Is this is a good thing or a bad thing if we get you like those truck things they put on the back that say wide load? <laughs> just this wide bride. Put a little veil on it. Yeah, just a little wide bride, Hell wide load yeah. kind of parody. I would be so about that. Which is like that. so lesbian because it's a construction <laughs> sign. I would be so about that. It's so much better than when people put like shaving cream that says just married. Um, if you're not careful, that can rip the clear coat off your car. That's dangerous. Be careful like, with that. Or like bridezilla things or like the I've worked in a bar long enough that bachelorette parties are my absolute hell. Oh yeah, because nothing like somebody going up and be like, we want 20 rounds of shots. Ah! I want bad shots exclusively. Yeah. That's all they ever want is bad shots. It'd be one, yeah, you're right. It would be one thing if it was like something that was good, but instead it's... We're drinking whiskey on tonight. <laughs> shots of whiskey for the bride. Yes, let's do it. I mean, I would have done that. <laughs> so so this week to to end our, our spooky season, we are uh, we're tackling one of probably the most well-known girl teen girl horror movies we are talking about the mother fucking craft it is better that you should rush upon this blade than enter this circle with fear in your heart how do you enter with perfect love and perfect trust and um, we actually do need to specify we are talking about the OG craft um, not the craft legacy which I assumed people would understand that we're talking about the original one because we said the craft and not the craft legacy, but you never know. Well, the way timing ended up, this episode should go up like, I think two, maybe three days after the craft legacy comes out. Right. So (laughs) planning this like a month and a half ago, that worked out very well for us because obviously that date wasn't released yet. Yeah. So I was like, oh, how serendipitous. But if people think that we can watch a movie, record a podcast and edit it in like a 24-hour turnaround, impressive. I mean, I could if I really, really want to be miserable. I was like, you'd be terrible to be I, around, and I, I don't want that. I can sit down and be sore by sitting in one place for five hours. Sure, why not? <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that. I want you to be happy. So the synopsis of the craft is this. And again, as always, from Fandango. After transferring to a Los Angeles high school, Sarah, played by Robin Tunney, finds that her telekinetic gift appeals to a group of three wannabe witches who happen to be seeking a fourth member for their rituals. Bonnie, Nev Campbell, Rochelle, Rachel True, and Nancy, Feruza Balk, like Sarah herself, all have troubled backgrounds, which combined with their powers lead to dangerous consequences. When a minor spell causes a fellow student to lose her hair, the girls grow power mad. This is a very weird way to describe this movie. That, that's not really... They're, they're focusing on one thing and really neglecting a lot of other stuff that happens in this movie. Yeah, I'm right there with you on that. Fandango, um, fix your synopsis for yeah, like this Christine, movie. Christine Taylor's only in this movie for maybe three minutes of screen time total. Like... She is so not a focal point. Hey, you know what, though? We have to prioritize, you know, the sorrows of white blonde girls. Apparently, that's what I've learned here, Fandango. Hey, Marsha is very important. Sure, Dan. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I could not resist. Uh, <laughs> All right, so Harmony, uh, what was your knowledge, introduction, exposure, anything to 1996's The Craft up until this point? The Craft is really interesting because... I mean, I guess fitting with the whole magic and mysticism of of this film's themes, 
there was like a mystique around this film for me because it's rated R. Let's, mm-hmm. and I don't, it doesn't need to be. There's nothing here that would necessarily elicit an R rating. It could have comfortably been PG 13, I think. Yeah, a major reason for the R rating is because it shows Wicca and witchcraft, and you know, anything that's not Christian is suddenly scary. How dare they disrespect our good Catholic and Lutheran values by having anything <laughs> else? So. I did not see this until probably when it came to Netflix, maybe like eight, nine years ago when I first got Netflix. So I would have seen this as maybe like a 20, 21 year old or so. And I'd always had an interest in this film because I had seen the imagery uh, most often of Feruza Bulk's, you know, Nancy, because she is... She's an icon. She's an icon. She is the most visually interesting thing in this movie by far. Her Mm -hmm. outfits are fantastic. She lounges in, like, pleather pants. Right. The whole time she's sitting there at the sleepover with those pants on, we both just look at each other and are like, oh my god, that would be so uncomfortable and sweaty. Oh my god, yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I would see the poster, I'd hear people talk about this movie, and then I just never got around to seeing it until much later. So when I finally did, I was really hyped, because I was like, oh, we're finally here. I'm, I'm finally seeing this movie, and, like, full disclosure... I kind of had like, I don't, I don't know if it was a crush on the Nancy character just based on her aesthetic, but like, it was the kind of thing where, do I want to like, do I have a crush on you or do I want to be you? Mm-hmm. And I definitely don't want to be you because I'm not a goth. I'm a fucking shitty punk who would prefer people not touch me. So I don't really want to <laughs> be in the pit, but you know, it, it was this weird allure of like, oh my goodness, like you're, you're so alternative and so not used to what. I've ever seen. Who are you? What are you? I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. She's dangerous. She is. And something that I have told BJ since before we even started dating when we were just talking is my type is uh, women who look like they're a mess. Yeah. Yeah. You, you love messes. And it's not even in the sense of like, you have this need to want to clean. Oh God, no. Or to like fix people. Cause I know that's definitely a thing is there are a lot of women they're like, I can fix them. It's like, no, oh God, don't do that. Do not sink your money into that money bed. <laughs> but uh, no, you just are very attracted to people who look like a mess. And I guess that's a compliment. I really me. like people who like naturally look like they are leaving a punk show at like 2.30 in the morning when all of their shit's a little bit in disarray and they look like they smell like cigarettes, but they don't. <laughs> like that's kind of my, kind of my look. And well, that's I, not uh, all I like, but like that was, that's certainly like a, like it catches my attention very immediately. Well, I'm glad that I spend hours at a time meticulously applying makeup intentionally for it not to move to know that you prefer mess. You realize that I have spent the better part of eight months watching you not have makeup on and still love you and think you're beautiful, oh, right? thank you. Okay. It's because then that's when I am the mess. Yeah, well, there we go. When I, I can to- have my cake and eat it too. <laughs> but yeah. there was definitely this, this allure of this film. So I finally saw it in my early 20s and I remember the experience and like my feelings of it were, were really high because mm-hmm. I... I'd finally achieved this thing that had been sort of just looming, like, just in the shadows of my peripheral movie-watching experience. Mm -hmm. And so I liked the experience, and I felt really good. And I think I rewatched it again maybe, like, three, maybe four years ago. Just, it was on 
at uh, at work, at the bar I work at, and it sat a little weirder the second time, if I'm being honest. Okay. Mostly because there is a, uh, a dark cloud that, that sort of metaphorically hangs over this movie, and um, it's that I'm entirely sick of witches as a concept right now, mm-hmm. because they have been... Because they have been watered down and repeatedly beaten over my head by the type of witches of Instagram and, like, astrology and tarot queers where, and you can't see, but I'm making, like, you know, quote fingers mm-hmm. with right now so no one can see that. But I loved this movie the first time I saw it. I liked it less because there were people in the bar taking the wrong things away from this movie. Okay. And that has sort of... That's sort of continued on this third rewatching now for the podcast. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. So my experiences with the craft are much like any other young girl of any sort of alternative um, punk, goth, whatever, any sort of counterculture, sort of fashion or lifestyle, whatever you want to call it. So I was naturally very into the craft. And Nancy okay. was a major part of that. I thought she was the fucking coolest looking person I had ever seen in a movie. Like for real though. And it was one of those things where it's like, you could do that? You could just exist in public (laughs) like this? Whoa! Like it just blew my fucking mind. Yes, if you shoplift all of your goth clothes, then you can look like that. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And if you go to a school that is too afraid of you to, you know, reprimand you, you can kind of get away with whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was always really, really into the craft. Um, I also went through this phase in like from fifth through eighth grade where I was super into kind of the witchy bullshit, obviously not understanding what any of it meant because I was like 12, but I, I, I would like be very one with nature. And, uh, I've tweeted about this a few times when those things will come around. That's like, what's a story from your childhood. That's like, so on brand for you. And it was like, oh, I convinced that boys in school that were messing with me that I was a witch and I was putting curses on them, but the curses were just me talking uh, the Russian lyrics to tattoos, all the things she said. Which is the <laughs> gayest thing ever. <laughs> it's so gay. Um, but that is one of my favorite stories. And that was definitely inspired by the craft and feeling like I was super powerful. I definitely laid on my floor and did kind of like the the chanting that Sarah does at the end, thinking that it would somehow invoke the powers of Menon, which is, you know, something that doesn't fucking exist. Uh-huh. So I've always loved the craft. Um, I admittedly have not revisited the craft outside of like catching bits and pieces of it um, here and there on TV um, in quite some time. And in rewatching it for the podcast, um, I'm having another 10 things I hate about you moment where I don't, I don't hate it. Like I I would be lying if I said I wasn't kind of also there. Yeah. Like I don't hate it. Don't get me wrong. I do not hate it. But there is so much stuff that I either did not recognize when I was younger for what it is, or now that I've gotten older, I'm looking back and thinking, oh, this, ooh, this is kind of fighting its own message a little bit here. Uh-huh. And if I'm being totally honest, it's made me so much more excited for this like sequel reboot thing because The Craft is not a perfect movie by any stretch of the no, imagination. It's- it's, it's got a lot of things wrong with it. Yeah, and I'm not talking about, you know, special effects or anything like that. I'm talking about the actual storytelling. It, you, it could use some work. 
And uh-huh. I think that this is one of those movies that I clung to so heavily because I was so desperate to see myself in something. And I saw myself as like, oh, misunderstood, like kind of goth girl that I was like, oh, no, this is for me. This is my movie. And now I'm an adult and I'm looking at it and I'm like, no, I don't want to be associated with these girls. Like they have they are mess and not the good kind of mess. That's like fun. This is like dangerous mess. The kind of mess where I will see images of like Nancy and go, oh, you're great. And then you see her in action just repeating words over and over again and like screaming and having mental breakdowns for a sizable portion of her on-screen time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, not so uh, delightful and beautiful of a mess in motion. I, I agree. And in talking about kind of the iconic look of Nancy, so something that always really frustrates me is whenever you talk about this movie, people always say like, oh, you know, it's about four goth girls or oh, it's about four this. Oh, it's about, you know, all these dark girls. And here's the thing. Nancy's the only one that's actually goth. Mm -hmm. Nev Campbell's Bonnie doesn't want anyone to see her. So she's just wearing big oversized clothing. She's maybe like closer to like a grunge sort of thing. Yeah, she's closer to grunge than anything. She's a little greasy and is wearing baggy clothes. Yeah, she's not goth. She just doesn't want anyone to see her. And then you have Rochelle, played by Rachel True, who outside of her school uniform, because that's the thing, is most of the movie they are in their school uniform. That Mm -hmm. is not goth. That's just a Catholic uniform. Mm -hmm. Um, But Rochelle is sort of this like earth mother. She's always wearing like neutral tones or floral patterns. Definitely not goth by any stretch of the imagination and that includes the we are the weirdos mister scene she's wearing a fucking floral print yes um they're all wearing like (laughs) nice springy summery clothes that are really good for taking a walk in the sun yeah except for nancy except for nancy and and sarah always kind of wears this kind of girl next door maybe she bought her stuff from adelia's catalog i'm not sure (laughs) um but that's sort of her look so whenever they're like oh it's about four goth girls i'm like no it's fucking not like don't Put this together like this is some like sisterhood of the traveling trip pants because that's not what it is. <laughs> Good joke. Thank you. I pulled that out of my ass as I was saying it. Uh, well, I think that's because a lot of things that people remember about this film are it's a very stylish film. Oh, yeah. The aesthetic of the craft is, is iconic. The most iconic aspects of this movie are the visuals by far. Yes. And that's sort of where I have a, a problem with it. Because a lot of people praise the soundtrack of this movie, and God, I think it sucks. <laughs> hey, Portis had fucking rules. Yeah, but let's, I don't. Let's take a back seat on that. <laughs> but otherwise, that Portis head is not you. the whole soundtrack. Portis head <laughs> is a song on this soundtrack, and there's a lot of bands I like on this soundtrack, like Matthew Sweet's on this soundtrack. Letters to Cleo is on here. Even Space Hog is fine. Like. In the meantime, it's an okay song. But the the songs that are on here are not indicative of what their catalogs are. Everything is just the same kind of, like, gray mess of bland 90s alt-rock that, like, Bush is, like, the team captain of. (laughs) And Bush is the most boring band ever. It all sounds like that. And the thing is, if that's the kind of music that you like, then yes, this soundtrack is exactly what you want. Like, it's how I always tell people that if you're really into, like fucking new metal or whatever little nicky is your favorite fucking soundtrack because that's all that movie is um but for me like because people will talk about the soundtrack and i I don't dislike the soundtrack but in re-watching the craft this movie is like wall-to-wall music yeah songs will end and then a new song will start yeah with zero trace
transition. Just yes. like we just, it's, it's, it's almost as if there's a CD playing in the background and it's just going to the next track. Yeah, it's just a barrage of licensed music. Yep. <laughs> and for one thing, it's like it's so painfully of its time. And I don't always say that it's a bad thing, but considering this is a part of the 90s that I think is tedious and dull, does not set a mood for me. If you strip the lyrics away from all of these songs, they sound like just generic, like, alt-rock score things. Like, you and I have actually talked about this before with The Prodigy, because mm-hmm. I legitimately have no memories of ever listening to Firestarter before. And you went, no, but this is used in everything. I'm like, this just sounds like background music, aside from him just like, I'm the Firestarter. <laughs> like, the music to that just sounds like, oh, hey, I liked The Matrix and wrote a score to a movie that sounds like something from The Matrix. Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. That's what everything in this movie <laughs> sounds like to me. You're not wrong. If you are not a fan of alt-rock music, then it definitely does blend together. And the wall-to-wall music does not help because it makes it really difficult for any of the songs to kind of stand on their own. None of the the music, to me, it none of it has like a needle drop, right? Yeah. The same way that something like... 10 Things I Hate About You or Clueless or any, or Freaky Friday or any of these other movies that we've covered. That have like really banging licensed music? Yes. The music seems very intentional and it is serving a purpose. It's not just scoring. Yeah. This is just background. And that sort of mentality drags over to a lot of the, the, the style of this movie and that same sort of emphasis on cool 1996 style also really distracts me a lot in this movie because I don't want to be that person who harps on the like poorly aged aspects of some films aesthetically, but I definitely am excited for the you know sequel, remake, or whatever you're going to loosely qualify the craft legacy as because so many things about this movie need updated. A lot of the filming techniques, like when they cast that spell on the beach, where it's just, hey, we're going to spin and flash lights incessantly, and it's just going to be very 1996. It's very music video video Yes, and it, it hurts me to look at. Like, I'm like, oh, God, I'm getting a little nauseous watching this scene. Or a lot of the visuals, because almost all of the effects are CG, they look like stuff that I would have seen on TV and, like, Charmed in, like, 1998, and... I realized, like, I'm not going to harp on this movie for its budget. Like, this is a big takeaway from it. But when so much of this movie's identity is tied to its style, those visuals kind of matter. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. For me, it's less about, like, oh, CGI looks terrible. Because, I mean, it does. But you're absolutely right. This movie is so heavily emphasizing its aesthetic, its look, and its, you know, style. So when you have those moments, like... Uh, you know, Robin Tunney's Sarah changing her hair color with her hands and it just looks like she's not even in the same universe as them. It's so distracting yeah, to and look al- at. And also that scene, she changes her eyes and they just go, oh, you just changed your eyes. You can do those contacts. Do something more impressive. And then she just make, becomes a blonde. And which like, you, you can, can just do that bleach your bleach. hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Um, so let's let's start talking about our main characters. I mean, and this is going to be a weird one for us because there really aren't a lot of secondary characters. I mean, like their parents. There's like five kind of, characters in this movie, really. But for all intents and purposes, like this this movie's really just about these four girls. Um, and then you know, 
poor Skeet Ulrich. Um, <laughs> so let's let's talk about these four girls, and we don't have to isolate each of them. I think we can sort of talk about them as a group because that's sort of the point. Mm-hmm. So how do you feel about uh, about our our coven here? I don't like any of them. Okay. <laughs> okay. So dive into that. What What do you not like about them? Let's Let's take the like witchcraft thing. And focus on that, first of all. A thing that I pointed out repeatedly as we were watching this movie is something that came up actually recently because you're showing me Pen15 and we've made it to season two, where Maya and Anna are pretending they're witches and just doing weird stuff in school with no magic. So it's like, wow, you just look crazy. You're mm-hmm. putting your hair in someone's locker. You're doing a lot of weird chanting. You you seem crazy. Mm-hmm. So let's take that same kind of outside-looking-in perspective into the craft. Assuming there's no magic, because they're doing these things regardless of if they actually have magic. Mm -hmm. So much of what they're doing seems absolutely insane. (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong. And it's really, really hard when you watch them, because like we know that they have magic. But if you don't know that they have magic, then they might as well be the snake guy who gets hit by a car. Yes, because that's what that's what these people look like probably to everyone else. If you do not physically see the magic or the results of the magic, you just look bonkers. Like, at one point after the big thunderstorm and Nancy walks on water, the cops and the people on the beach don't see that. They see a woman kneeling down, petting a dead shark, going, this is a gift. This is a gift. Yeah, it's... It's, it's bananas. Like, it's, it's, it's very bananas, and it makes complete sense where, you know, spoiler, but I assume everyone has seen this, but the end of the movie puts her, you know, in, in a mental institution because without the magic, it looks bananas. It looks like the people who stand on street corners talking about how the world is ending and Jesus is coming. Yeah, so she's just sitting there strapped to a bed getting injections saying that over and over that she's flying and she's not. You're just really doped up at the moment. Right. And it's and it's also frustrating, though, because then that goes into this idea of, like, not believing women because we've seen Nancy fly. Once upon a time, she could fly. Yeah. And losing that power would probably, you know, cause a little bit of a of a, of a break in your, your stability there. Um, so I do kind of feel bad in that regard. Yes. But I, I agree with you. The stuff that they do, like, when they're, when they're racing in the car through, like, busy L.A. streets, you know, making the lights change, that's fucking reckless as hell if you don't have magical powers. And at one point, they almost do get in a car accident. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, that's not cool or empowering. You're, like, you're putting your lives and the lives of others at risk. That's not cool. Yeah, and it, this is a, I will whole, I will whole hog admit that this is a me hang up, but I have such distaste for people who want to pretend that they are something, like, fantastical that they clearly aren't. Mm-hmm. And I say this as a trans person whose womanhood is asserted by sheer force of will. If you sit there and in honest believe you are a witch or a Viking or an animal and it's not like, <laughs> oh, this is just like something I do for fun. Like I believe in tarot because it's a philosophy. It's like, no, this is my religion and I'm actually a witch. So you better be careful because I'm going to put a hex on you. And uh, No, I hate this. And so much of this movie is ingrained in that. And I realize they have magic, but... 
it, it's sending off these like red lights I have gotten within the gay community from people who are so like this and I cannot handle it. Yeah, no, and that that's other that's another thing that we do need to acknowledge is that like there is also this weird gatekeeping aspect of sort of witchcraft or astrology in the stars and anything that does exist in in queer communities. And that there are plenty who are like, yeah, this is just what I believe and that's cool. That's fine. But then there are plenty who are really militant about it and are not recognizing that they are using the same oppressive tactics as like the Judeo-Christian religions but doing it with the stars. Like the amount of people who have told Harmony and I that like we would never work and that this was a bad idea because we're both Geminis, shut the fuck up. Like actually shut the fuck up. For real. And like phrases like hex the patriarchy, that that that's bad. That's like I get what you're doing and I get your sentiment, but you're doing thoughts and prayers, but like spitefully like this movie. Like all of the magic they use in this movie is self-servicing mm-hmm. and really spiteful. And I'm not going to say that Laura, Lizzie, and Chris did not deserve bad things to happen to them because they're bad people. But the, the, the whole overarching theme here that Sarah seems to emphasize to the rest of her coven is maybe we should think about this and be a little bit safer. And they go, no, that's stupid. We're gods. Yeah, and that I think plays into this idea I see, I see it in two, in two directions because one, it plays into this idea of teenagers thinking that they're invincible. Mm-hmm. That is very real. That is a very real thing. I definitely went through that phase where I was like, I'm fucking untouchable. Like I can do whatever I want. You know, I'm a senior now, like that kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Like I understand that behavior completely. But at the same time, this also falls into this idea that like, you know, the worst thing that could possibly happen is that women get power. You know, that's another message that you can take away from this movie is because they do have powers, they are powerful, and it turns out to be a really bad thing. And that's also concerning because I don't like that messaging either that, you know, women shouldn't be allowed power or if we do get it, that it's dangerous. I just really have issues with that messaging in this movie across the board because my understanding, at least how I read it, is that theoretically... Anyone who believes in, like, witchcraft and is willing to do all of the the proper magical practices or whatever, they can have some semblance of magic. But because Sarah is a part of this circle with three women who don't really have any magic of their own, they're basically leeching off her powers. They they bring great power because of their association with her. Mm -hmm. That means that she is powerful and she is the moral judge on who should do what and what should happen all on her own. And only because of the birthright that she was born a witch. Right. That's like some very privileged ass like allegory that we can make here. It of is. like, you know, oh, she was she was born ahead of the game. Therefore, she should be allowed to continue to stay ahead of the game. And I don't like that either. Yeah, it's like. And the whole point of this movie seems to be about finding your inner strength and your inner light and like overcoming perseverance in spite of your enemies and people trying to bring you down because of that. And I like that theming. But then the movie does the exact opposite of that theming. <laughs> yeah, they really do. I also have um I also have a big issue with how this movie is always painted as like sisterhood, that this is a sisterhood movie. And it's not. Because it's fucking not. Um there are moments where they all are together, but ultimately they don't really have things in common outside of their interest in magic. Um, they're all very kind of self-serving people and they all immediately turn on each other. If like one thing doesn't go their way, they turn on each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's, 
it's emblematic of, I think, bad, toxic friendships. But ultimately, like, this isn't a sisterhood. Like, no. they're constantly kind of at each other. They're, you know, with with brief moments of unity. And the only time that they are united is when they need each other to get across, like, the spells they want to cast that service each of them individually. Yes. Like, 100% yes. And I, I think back to my second time watching this movie in, like, a public space with probably a cool... Six to ten people who are really invested in it because I watched it during like a Halloween season. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's appropriate. People were really in the mood. And there's points where they're just talking about like, we're witches. We can do whatever we want. We can make anyone suffer. And there's people sitting around there who are verbally saying, yeah, we are. We're Yeah, let's let's burn this down. Let's do it. And I'm just like, wow. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I don't I don't like what you're getting from this movie because this is not really an empowerment movie. Because my whole understanding of, like, the perception of this movie, and we have read a few articles, you know, since rewatching it for the podcast to see kind of where everyone else is, and I don't know where everyone's getting these takes from this movie where they say, like, oh, Nancy's, you know, a, an icon. I'm like, Nancy's a bad person. She's a very good villain. Nancy's not a good person. You should not aspire to be her. Yeah, Nancy's iconic in the sense that she is an amazing villain. Yeah. But, like, she's awful. Like, oh, she is a bad person. <laughs> 100. She is, like, super terrible. And people talking about, like, oh, well, this is about three witches who are invaded by the boring, shitty, white Sarah who disrupts their entire lives and dictates what they should do. And I'm like, yeah, but also, they're not witches and they're not good people. They're some outcasts who sat at a lunch table by themselves and everyone thought they were weird. And that's just the cruel reality of like the social structure of high school because Nancy's being ostracized because she's poor and she's a goth. Nev Campbell's character, whose name I don't remember. Bonnie. Bonnie's being ostracized because she has a bunch of burns and is trying to hide herself, Mm -hmm. which means when you try to hide, you are going to have more attention brought to you. Mm -hmm. And Rochelle's character is black. Yeah. So those are the things that are, Making them outcasts. So Rachel True talks about this in Horror Noir, um, which is a documentary that you can watch on Shudder that's about the history of black representation in horror. It's fucking amazing. It's so good. It's one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. For real. But Rachel True talks about getting cast in that role and how that role was originally not written for a person of color. She just was the best actress for the role. And how that sort of changed you know, what she was dealing with. If I remember correctly, I think originally she was supposed to be dealing with an eating disorder. But when Rachel True was cast, it then turned into, oh, well, your problem is is racism. And I have mixed feelings about this. Me too. One, uh, it doesn't sit right in my soul that like the thing that she is dealing with is an issue that is bigger than witchcraft. It is systemic. It is global. It is deeply ingrained in every aspect of society so i'm sorry but like punishing the shitty racist laura lizzie is not going to make racism go away it's just going to torture laura lizzie who don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong she deserves to suffer she's a piece of shit yes but that's not going to magically solve the 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 core root of the problem which is racism i drink up my sisters and i ask for the ability to not hate those who hate me especially Racist pieces of bleach blonde shit like Laura Lizzie. Mm. Right up.
I hate that that character is defined by it, but also I'm very glad that that storyline exists because that is a very unfortunate reality that I think so many movies are afraid to talk about. The fact that, yes, uh, Rochelle as a character is going to be having a different lived experience than her white friends. Mm-hmm. I love this too, but they, again, don't really... I feel like they don't focus on that very much. So much of this feels almost half-baked, where it's like, okay, so Nancy has an abusive stepfather and is white trash. I'm sorry that that's the case. But, like, we don't learn, we don't have a lot of focus on Rochelle's storyline. We don't learn how Bonnie got burned. Like, there's a lot of things that are just kind of left unanswered. And so much of what these characters have are just defined by their tragedies Mm -hmm. and their desires oftentimes because of their tragedies, which are fueled by, like, malice and spite. Mm -hmm. And these are tropes that I really hate how people tend to write trans characters. And Mm -hmm. it just sits really badly with me because every character in this movie, or at least the core three, you know, quote-unquote antagonists, certainly more than Sarah, it's it's almost like tragedy porn. Well, I mean, but even Sarah's defined by her tragedies because she's defined by the fact that her mom is dead. And, you know, she's also defined by the fact that she has had, you know, thoughts of self-harm and and suicide. And those are themes that keep coming up and get get weaponized against against her her in, like, the shittiest possible way. Which, again, this is why this movie is not about sisterhood because you should not be throwing around each other's traumas as barbs. And that's what's happening in in this movie is they weaponize the shit out of each other's trauma in order to cause further harm. Yes, absolutely. And I guess I kind of, that part slipped my brain. So like, no, she's definitely on the same level as Mm -hmm. the others. And maybe it's just how my brain has always processed this film, but this feels like the like high school girl group stepping stone that is holding the fort down between Heathers and Mean Girls. Mm Mm-hmm. And because it's R-rated, because it's darker, because it's, like, more violent, it feels like the version of school where people are like, I smoke behind the school and that makes me extra cool. But they're carrying that that feeling into their adult life with this film. Mm -hmm. Like, do you know what I mean? No, I I understand that. And I think, you know, again, a point that I brought up earlier where this, you know, this is one of the few movies that does feature kind of, you know, alt characters. Definitely one of the only ones that features, you know, black characters. Oh, yeah. Um, So this is a movie that a lot of people resonated with because, you know, they weren't Cher. They weren't Buffy. They weren't any of these characters. So they have sort of that Cat Stratford effect where because these are characters that are quote unquote not like the other girls. Therefore, oh my gosh, these characters are for me. And you hold them very preciously and you forget how to look at them critically or justly. And that is absolutely something that I'm struggling with here because I love these characters. I love this movie. And then I'm sitting here watching it and I'm like, fuck, no, I don't. I really don't. Like, there's definitely still the nostalgia that I, I love about this movie. I'll probably probably still watch this around the Halloween season moving forward. But at the same time, I am now looking at it from a much more critical lens that this movie is not emblematic of the types of stories that I want to see. I can see that. And I'm, I'm, I'm a simple person. I'm a sucker for like a moral and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why some of my favorite shows are like King of the Hill and Scrubs where everything has a very defined moral and mm-hmm. just nice little, nice little tied up neat little bow. But not everything has to be like that. And this film doesn't have to have that kind of moral. 
but it feels like it's trying to and failing at it. And that just makes it, it just sits really badly with me because of that. And people are taking all of these different things from it that are just not present in it. So on that lens, because obviously sometimes we'll jump into like our, our side characters and in, in all honesty, the really only side character that we have is Chris, yes. um, played by Skeet Ulrich. And this piggybacks perfectly with what you said of like people have these takeaways that don't exist in the movie. Oh, I know what we're about to say. And <sighs> I was a little, uh, a little irate when we were watching this. Yeah. So, and I will fully admit that I, I am the person who used to have the same belief. But one of the big takeaways that a lot of people have from the craft is that Nancy is this very pro-woman witch who is like down to punish Chris for his attempting of assaulting Sarah and that he needs to pay. And, you know, she does the the cool trick where she changes her face to look like Sarah to trick him into sleeping with her and then pushes him out the fucking window. Uh And I know so many people, and this is myself included, who have always been like, fuck yeah, kill your local rapist. Like, this guy sucks. He deserves to die. So here's the thing. No one is questioning that Chris is a piece of shit. Yeah, he's a huge fuckboy. He's a huge fuckboy. Before any magic is implied to him, he, you know, spreads a rumor to the whole school that he not only slept with Sarah, but that she was a terrible lay, and he does that because she does not want to have sex with him. She does not want to go home with him. That's shitty, awful boy behavior. That is locker room talk behavior. That deserves to be held accountable. However, comma... And this is where it gets messy, and here's where I get a little bit uh, offended because uh, I am a very, very vocally open survivor of of rape with singular partner, rape with multiple um, yeah. individuals involved. So this is something that I am very much in tune with. Trigger um, warning. Trigger warning. So Sarah's magic, her her you know her wish to men on is to make Chris like her. And obviously, because it's magic, it works way better than anticipated. And he essentially becomes obsessed with her. He stalks her. He won't leave her alone. He listens to everything that she says. And there is a moment where they are out together and he attempts to rape her. That's, I should have trigger warning that and I'm sorry, but that's what happens. Well, well, we can put it in in post. Yeah, we can put it in in post. Trigger Um, warning. Trigger warning. Um, But... What bothers me, and this goes into this really fucked up way of thinking, I am in no way, shape, or form saying that Sarah was asking for it or she deserved it or anything like that. Chris would not have assaulted her had he or tried to assault her had he not been underneath a love spell to where he was obsessed with her to the point where he could not control any of his actions. They have an entire conversation in the car about how he doesn't even think anymore. He's just feeling things because that's what the spell has done to him. That's so funny. I was just thinking, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Are we supposed to go to a restaurant or something like that? No. All right, look, Chris, I know you think you you feel really intensely but do you ever stop and wonder where it comes from no i can't think i just feel it's weird how it happened i just woke up one day and i couldn't wait to see you 
So to paint him as this horrible, uh, you know, assaulting rapist is not true. He cannot control his actions because he has been bewitched. And it really fucking bothers me that people are painting him as this awful character and like good for them for killing him when he wouldn't be this way had they not bewitched him, had they not put the spell on him. So you cannot put a spell on somebody and then punish them for doing exactly as the spell told him to do. Yes. And what makes it like even more kind of fucked up is that Sarah doesn't even really like him. There's no reason why she likes him. He's just, he was nice to her once and he's like the popular boy in school. She's like, I want him to like me, even though I'm not interested in him as revenge and for status. And it's like, that's also like really, I mean, honestly, it's like a very 16 year old girl thing to do, but it's also extremely self-centered and it doesn't fit the whole moral of witchcraft where whatever magic you put out there, you'll get back three times. No, he's dead. Yeah. Like, he dies. There is no resolution for this. And I guess you could say that when it comes to magic, there's some spells you can't undo or mm-hmm. something poetic like that. Well, yeah, but... she says that it has to run its course, and it doesn't run its course. And the problem is, like, ugh, okay. And so here's the other thing that we, we need to address is, so when Sarah acknowledges, you know, that she kind of has a thing for Chris, and they call her out because she's watching the football thing, you know, we find out that Nancy, once upon a time did have, you know, she did have sex with Chris. Like, they Mm -hmm. slept together. And even when Nancy has the confrontation with Chris, like, they talk about it, and he's like, yeah, I've been trying to forget about it. Nancy is not killing Chris because she really cares about Sarah or she was trying to do this, like, revenge plot against this awful person who needs to pay. She's doing it because she's still fucking upset that they had sex and he didn't want to date her and that he used her, which, yeah, that is shitty. Mm -hmm. He deserves to be called to the carpet for that. Yeah. But he doesn't deserve to die for that. She kills him because she has her own vendetta and because ultimately... Nancy is jealous of Sarah. She's jealous that Sarah is a natural witch. She's jealous that Chris is, you know, obsessed with Sarah. So she kills him. Like, there's nothing about that action to me that speaks like, oh, this is this cool, empowered, feminist moment. Because it's fucking not. Yeah, and up till this point, I felt a little bad because I'm like, I'm putting all my personal biases about witchcraft and practitioners of Wicca, I guess. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know how to phrase that, but just blanket statement, broad brush strips on that whole theme. I feel bad that I can't sort of separate all that and look at this film purely based on itself. But at the same time, I don't feel that bad because so many people are projecting like, you know, men in their lives probably for why it says, good, I'm glad Chris is dead because he reminds me of this guy who fucked me over. So people are projecting their own things onto this film and... That's kind of just the digestion of media in general, mm-hmm. but I still feel guilty because it's like, oh, I'm, I'm not being fair, and that's kind of what we're, the whole point of doing something like this is, is that we're being critical, but but trying to be fair about it. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I just have a lot of complicated feelings about this whole interaction, and... I, I don't I don't like it. Yeah, just, and, a lot of a lot of it just sits really ugly with me. Yeah, and that's the thing that makes me so mad is because I'm essentially sitting here defending like this guy who's clearly a piece of shit. Like absolutely he's a piece of shit, but I'm also somebody who very much believes in the idea of restorative justice and non-punitive punishment. That's, you know, I fucking abolish all prisons. We don't need them. They're stupid. Um but I I hate that this movie puts me in that position. I hate that this movie makes it so that I have to go, wait, 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 
No, because if we're going to be fair, we need to be fair to everybody. And that includes the fact that this character, who is pretty much our only side character, is treated in a way that he does not deserve to. And it pisses me off because he falls in that same category as like Christian in Midsommar, where like, yeah, no one is doubting the fact that this guy sucks. Like Everyone he's in that movie sucks. Awful. <laughs> But then, like, you get to the ending, and it's like, oh, he cheated. No, he didn't. He was drugged. Like, and he cannot consent in that form. So saying that, like, oh, he's this awful cheater, fucking kill him. Like, no. Like, he's also a victim in this. People can be shitty and awful people and still be victimized. And that's what's happening in the craft. Chris is a shitty asshole. He's a stupid fuckboy. He's also being victimized through magic. And, like, that's real. And for the sake of the story, I I get kind of what they're going for, I think, where it's saying, like, Nancy's the bad witch, and she will corrupt Bonnie and Rochelle, and they yeah, will wear, the wicked they will the wear black as well, even though they haven't worn it up till this point when they're all floating around Sarah's house and mm-hmm. being spooky. So she's corrupted them, and she's the bad witch, and now you have Sarah, who's the good witch, because she doesn't want to kill Chris. Mm-hmm. But it's also having this weird moral high ground thing where people are not taking that theme of it they're not siding with sarah they're siding with nancy mm-hmm. and a movie that i like to bring up at every possible opportunity that i can <laughs> because i love it so much better and i think it does this sort of thing better than this is bit yes because i maybe it's just i think vampires are cooler than witches but where it has the absolute power corrupts absolutely sort of thing, and men are evil, but not all men are evil. It's kind of like people in general are evil, and you use your moral thing on like that. It handles all of the things that the craft does and what people think that the craft is doing, but does it better. And it frustrates me so much because this film is being elevated for reasons that aren't there. Yeah, no, and so there's um, an article on Vice... Um, that's written by Alana Massey that says boring Sarah is the true villain of the craft. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be real. I don't agree with like 90% of this article because there are moments where, um, she, they, I'm not sure how Alana identifies, but, um, there, there are moments where it's basically like, you know, Sarah's ruining everybody's fun and, you know, every party is a pooper and the pooper is Sarah sort of thing. But she ends the article by saying, The thing about the craft is that its central theme is overwhelmingly common in culture. Girls who attain a modicum of power are inherently untrustworthy and dangerous. What's disappointing is that our sentimentality for the era and film creates a collective amnesia about what actually happens in the movie, which is misguidedly hailed as subversive feminist cinema. So the next time a friend suggests watching it for nostalgia or whatever, gently decline and suggest almost anything else that serves to empower women. I agree with that wholeheartedly because this is definitely this movie where I think we've all gotten it in our heads where this is like, cool, women empowerment, goth girl, sisterhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you watch it and you really watch it, not just, you know, have it on and quote along with it and, you know, have fun and talk about how this is so cute. We are the weirdos, mister. Yeah. How we played light as a feather, stiff as a board at sleepovers, like take all of that away actually listen to what this movie is saying and you will realize oh my god i have misremembered this movie my entire fucking life yes and the whole point of it is that it's a cautionary tale Mm -hmm. that that that's it yeah it's it's a cautionary tale about power and here's the thing 
I know plenty of people who love this movie, not for any of the reasons that we've cited, but specifically for those bad reasons that are like, yep, nope, I want to live in a world where I have ultimate power and I can fucking do what I want and fuck everybody. Like, let me live in that fantasy world. And you know what? That's cool. That's 100% cool and more power to people who want to feel that way because I get it. There's, there's a, there's a real catharsis to watching movies like this, especially if you're someone from a marginalized identity of any form where it feels good to see yourself in a position of power, even if that means that you're corrupt and, you know, a villain because fuck it, you just want to have that power because you don't have it in real life. I get that. I totally get that and more power to you. But I would say a majority of people who like this movie are not taking that message. They're taking the message that they think is there that isn't. And I think this is where I see this movie in two ways. And the personal side stops me from enjoying the actual art itself because I watch this movie and I think of all these people who were surrounding me in a bar quoting all the fun lines and thinking this is just a, this is a good time romp about like women like going and like smiting all of the boys that treated them like shit and being supportive of each other and I, I don't know how we can misconstrue this movie this this harshly, but all of these bad takes, they're bad takes. All of those things, I can't unsee them when I watch this movie. Mm-hmm. So I can't enjoy the movie itself. Because so much, this movie being about four women, the poster is the four of them together, walking together, and they're not together. Mm-hmm. They are... Probably only for maybe like a quarter of the film on the same page. The opening, they're not. For a bit, they are in like kind of the middle and then they splinter. Mm -hmm. And seeing this as that kind of like positive girl gang message, just because they, these are essentially your stars is the same kind of toxic behavior you see when like guys go, oh, well, I'm, I'm Rick Sanchez. I'm Walter White. I'm, I'm Bojack Horseman. And they're really proud of it. And you shouldn't be. That that should be a red flag for yourself. Yeah. No, I'm I'm right there with you when it comes to this because you know, you bring up a good point where so many people are like, yeah, we're gonna kill the men that have wronged us in this. And okay, we've already talked about the complications with Chris. Then there's, you know, the guy with the snakes, who is clearly mentally ill. Yeah. And the fact that it is, you know, you know, he was creeping me out, therefore he gets to die. Um, that doesn't sit right with me. That's no. super shitty. Um, and no, then... it's like this merciless teen mentality of like, I'm, you're, you annoy me, therefore I want nothing to do with you, but taken to like a really intense extreme. Yeah. Uh, really the only one that I'm kind of like, eh, yeah, I get it, is Nancy's not dad. Um, oh yeah, no, who, he's, he's garbage. He's, he's fucking garbage. And you know what? Yeah, I would probably induce a heart attack into that asshole too. Like that's really the only one where I'm like, okay, yeah, I get this. But then you look at everyone else who is quote unquote harmed in in this movie and it's them harming each other and then harming Laura Lizzie who, yeah, she's a racist fucking monster and she holds way too much status in her appearance. Yeah, okay, I get it. But even the movie is telling us we shouldn't feel bad for her because when Rochelle does see her in the shower and it just keeps, you know, it just keeps falling out and she's, you know clearly just horrified and like very upset Rochelle has this moment where it's like oh I kind of feel bad Mm -hmm. and I'm not trying to say that like you know oh we need to be nice to our oppressors because absolutely not like 
Laura Lizzie deserves to suffer. But the movie isn't giving us that message. The movie is telling us that we should feel bad about her. And it makes everything super muddy. Like, it's, it's just, it's so not consistent in terms of what is justified and what isn't. And I guess... I guess in a sense that makes it a good teen movie because teens are nothing but inconsistent. Yeah. I mean, not everything has to be wrapped up in a perfect little bow. And I guess what they're trying to say is like, hey, there's consequences to your actions. As an aside, I kind of one of my biggest fears is that I have male genetics and my dad has a horrible receding hairline Mm -hmm. that just his widow's peak is eroding away like the beaches of Florida. And... Oh my God, that is like one of my things is just like, oh God, am I going to go bald? Mm -hmm. So I don't feel bad for the racist. I feel bad for the scenario in that scene, also on a personal level. Like, I just got a lot of personal things that are just ticking boxes on this film aside from the film, you know? Mm -hmm. So I like the theming of, hey, there's consequences to your actions, but Bonnie and Rochelle don't learn that. They essentially don't even get better until they're like, grounded at the end of the movie where Sarah takes away their magic and is just like, you can't do anything anymore. That's the way it is. And then they're like, but we can still be friends. We can, you, do you want to hang out? Like we're, we're, it was all Nancy. We're fine. Like we, we never hated you. Like, please don't, please, please give us our magic back. Mm-hmm. Like they don't learn. Yeah. They're no. selfish people. Yeah. And that's, and, and that's why I get so frustrated with this because ultimately especially with Bonnie and Rochelle. It's like, you know, Rochelle's thing that she's dealing with is is bigger than anything. That's super fucking hard. And then Bonnie's issue is so, like, integral to who she is. Like, she spent her entire life feeling like, uh, you know, feeling like a monster because of what she looks like. And, you know, it's it's what everyone talks about. It's like, oh, she's got all these scars. Yeah, she does deserve to feel beautiful and confident and love herself. Absolutely, she deserves to feel that way. So I have just this this really mixed feeling where I feel like Bonnie and Rochelle are almost like these bystanders who are, are being pulled between these two forces, either Nancy who gets absolute power and then is corrupted by it and they follow her because, you know, she has all the power. She's she's the Regina George mm-hmm. and Sarah is the Katie Heron. Like, that's what's happening here. And it's it's very difficult to see them as something other than people that I, I empathize with because it's like, I get it. Like, you, they're clearly not leaders. They need someone to guide them. And unfortunately, they're guided by people who kind of suck. <laughs> Wholeheartedly. But as an aside... Can I just point out how satisfying it looks when they peel all that crap off Nev Campbell's oh back? God, I know. Because it just looks like you put glue on your fingertips and peel it off, and it's just like, yes. Yeah, I'm one of those, like, <laughs> gross weirdos who watches, like, Dr. Pimple Popper videos. Dr. Pimple Popper. Like, for, I think it was my birthday or one of our first anniversaries. I don't it remember. It was our first Valentine's Day. Our first Day. Valentine's Day. So we Day. were dating for, like, eight days or something (laughs) yeah our first valentine's day harmony bought me one of those like portable pimple popper things or it's like that like cube of fake skin with like wax in it and you can pop it out oh my god it's so satisfying it's the best you're welcome so yes thank you for that um so yeah it is like weirdly satisfying when they take all of like the dead skin off of nev campbell's back because i'm just like oh i want to i want somebody to peel all of the skin it's off like of my removing body. a sunburn where it's like this feels kind of really nice yeah, you know everything just feels fresh underneath but also on the on the topic of uh on on effects do you want to bring up the effect that I did not 
realize was was an effect. The first two times I watched this movie, I just thought it was like, oh, it's the 90s. It just looks bad. Oh. <laughs> because friends. this was a very earnest thing <laughs> at the start of our viewing. So, friends, I just... <laughs> I just need you to know something. Robin Tunney, to me, is one of the most beautiful women that ever lived. She has never looked better than an Encino man. I will die on that hill. <laughs> but before she was in the craft... She was in Empire Records, in which she shaves her head, which means she is wearing a wig for the entirety of the craft, and Harmony is apparently the only person alive who did not know that bitch is wearing a wig. No, and it's, in my defense, <laughs> it looks a lot better in some scenes than others. Yes, in some scenes it looks very fine, and then in others you're like, that shit is not moving. Yeah. Or well, her hairline's going in different places, like it's not always on the same spot in her head. It's rough, but at the same time, I thought she had better hair than Nev Campbell at the start of the movie, because her hair was all greasy and gross looking. Yeah, well that was intentional. Like, I know, <laughs> But I'm just saying, I thought it's the 90s and there's too much hairspray and maybe you washed it and you like blew it out, dyeing it, and you probably didn't condition it properly and you maybe wash your hair every day even though you're not supposed to. I assumed it was something like that. Nope, it's just, it's a wig. (laughs) My bad. It's a wig. And it just made me laugh because we're sitting there watching it and they show her in that first shot. I'm like, oh, that fucking wig. And Harmony's like, what? No, right. what what happened is you go, oh my god, Robin Tunney's wig is so bad in this movie. And I go, which one's she? And you just go, the main character. I go, that's a wig? <laughs> and then immediately it starts and I go, yeah, that's a wig. Yeah. Because it's clearly a wig. It's, it's so much more obvious once you know, but it's also obvious if you don't know. It like, oh, oh, honey. And you know what? If, if we were to have a character who has a shaved head in the, the craft legacy... Um, wig technology has greatly improved since then. I'm sure we wouldn't even know. It would be great. Well, I think everyone in the trailer for The Craft Legacy has great hair, and I don't think any of them are wearing wigs. So how about that? Yes, how about that? And, okay, so that... I was trying to avoid talking about The Craft Legacy on this episode, but you I you think... You don't want to talk about a film that's not out yet? Yeah, well, I mean, technically, it's, it's going to be it when this releases, but... The feelings that I have about the craft legacy, um, I, I think very much are responsive of, of how I feel about the craft. So when that trailer was released, people were pissed. Oh, they were so They mad. were pissed. And I think we touched on this a little bit in the last episode about uh, PG-13 and like teen mm-hmm. girl horror and stuff like that when we were discussing the final girls. Yeah, we, we, we touched on it a little bit, but I, I kind of want to dive in a bit more. Now that I have done like a very extensive rewatch of the craft, I am more confident than I was the day that the trailer dropped of saying like, no, this movie deserves a remake. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it does. I th- there are so many things that can be improved upon. This movie is not the masterpiece that so many of us want to believe that it is. Nope. It's not the empowering sisterhood story that everyone likes to pretend that it is. Nope. And I am very much hoping that this that this sequel remake whatever I'm hoping that it it gives the story that the craft the first craft um, was trying to say. I hope so too. It it looks promising, mm-hmm. and I mean the one thing everyone was roasting it for 
the hardest probably was how did they get that picture of Nancy from a scene where they didn't take her picture because they she was staring at the camera. Yeah, agreed. Okay, like that. Fine. Okay, yeah, you get you get you get that, and the amount of people that were saying, they were just really hammering oh on that point God. on Twitter, and just but it also it's for a movie that everybody claims is like oh this is this big feminist you know sisterhood thing blah 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 okay if that if that is true let's throw all logic out the window let's say that that's true that this movie is this big important feminist whatever the fuck the fact that there were also so many women. Uh, and and so many other people from marginalized gender identities who may have been you know influenced by this movie that were ragging on the fact that they had done this sequel reboot whatever the fuck was so reminiscent of what happened with the Ghostbusters remake and it was the same behavior that they criticize men for mm-hmm. and it really bothers me because it's super hypocritical of like oh we can remake movies as long as you know we replace them with women but we can't remake this movie because it's important to me no this movie needs to be remade because this movie is problematic as fucking hell it it just needs an update because there's so many things about it that could be done better agree like teen girls they deserve more than the original craft like there's been so much evolution in just how high schools function because that's just how how society works high schools in the 50s are different than the 70s which are different in the 90s which -hmm. are different from now so giving young girls a movie that is more emblematic of their experience in high school great love that giving them a movie that will hopefully look at not like a music video from 1995 and hurt my eyes anymore Great. That's a personal aside. <laughs> I'm sure people will criticize it for looking like a CW show, but I think that that is a better aesthetic than Prodigy music video. Well, and not only that, and th- what's so frustrating is like, it looks like a CW series. Okay, cool. That's what's cool for kids now. Do you know what was cool when The Craft came out? Uh, shit that looks like The Craft. The Craft looks exactly like the kind of stuff that was being made at that time. It looks like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It looks like Charmed. It looks like a fucking MTV music video. It is so emblematic of what was popular at the time. So the fact that this new one looks like what is popular now makes total sense. And uh, I'm sorry that the world is moving on past your interests. It's almost like the key demographic for this is not people in their 30s. Yeah, no shit. If you can enjoy this, great. But it is not targeting it. It is targeting people who are the age of the characters just as the first one did. Yeah, 100%. And I know that that's something that uh, that we talked about in the last episode. And sorry that you're getting it two weeks in a row. But you know what? Maybe, maybe now people will learn because they've heard it twice now. So there's no excuse. I'm not sure that those people listen to our podcast. They don't. We the people who listen to our podcast are fucking wonderful, and you're all delightful human beings, you and we good love having you. Who say such nice things about us on Twitter <laughs> and leave us great reviews, and we love you very much. And we're so sorry that we constantly rant about you know shitty people. The people who need to hear these messages are not the people who listen to us. And I'm just hoping that you're listening to this, being like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, I'm with you," and not feeling attacked because we don't want to attack you. You're lovely. We want to attack these other fuckers. Yeah, Fuck we, those people. We, we want to build you up. And we know that you're smart. And to, to steal one of my favorite quotes, we know that you're smart because, like, we say fuck a lot and you're okay with it. <laughs> oh, that was cute. That was very cute. Thanks. So, 
Yeah, I just I, I think that's probably a, a good a good point to to go out on for I, this movie. I think so too. So yeah, I'm. Yeah, we kind of broke our normal format on this one, but we talked we about talked about everything, everything we needed to. <laughs> it's it's all just scattered throughout. It's just not linear like it normally is. But yeah, so that's okay. So harmony. I feel like I know this answer, but I'm actually very curious for um for your note back. But the craft 1996 is asking you to prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, and are you going to send something on the note back? So what's really interesting is I was going into this, like, when we started to record, I was like, I think I know where I'm sitting. But after really processing my feelings as we talk about this, because that's really what we do, right? We kind of fumble over our feelings all the time because we are opening up and discovering our own thoughts on things sometimes Mm -hmm. on, like, on a deep emotional level as we were recording. I'm, I'm going to say that the craft is a no, and people will probably be very mad at me, but I just, I don't really desire to revisit this film. I don't like it because of the people who like it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. I don't like it as its own self-contained movie, mm-hmm. because it's not fun, it's not scary, its theming is bad. It's not interesting to look at or listen to. It it, it does ha- it has nothing for me. So that said, I am super excited for the sequel because I I I, I hope that it's going to be kind of it's kind of like Bit that I brought up earlier, which did everything right for my brand and hopefully other people's as well. But it seems like it's going in that direction of like good girl gang and mm-hmm. good new generation of things that go bump in the night that I like and I think the teens will like. I'm hoping so too. If only so that I can rub it in people's faces who are shitty. And if it's bad, then I'll be like, hey, you know what? It was bad and it is what it is. But I haven't seen it yet, so I can't make that call. I mean, I'll, I'll be disappointed if it's bad. It's it, Yeah, I never want I have, a movie to be bad. I don't want any movie to be bad. <laughs> I, didn't want, I didn't want the craft to be bad. I didn't want 10 Things I Hate About You to be bad. I didn't want to walk away from those going, man, I, I leave this feeling worse than when I started. I didn't want that. This is unpleasant for me. And as always, our podcast is completely subjective. So if this is a movie that you love, more power to you for loving it. That's totally fine. Like, you're not a bad person for loving this movie. We just ask that, you know... If you love something that has problematic elements, just love it critically. Be okay to love something critically. It's okay to love something and know that it also has some things that could be can be worked upon. I am the queen of trash in that regard. <laughs> I love horrible movies with terrible messaging and just bad news nonsense all over it. So do I. And, and that's, uh, that's fine. Just know that, that it's there. Just know it's there. Speaking of bad movies, starting November... So very soon, we should be launching our Patreon. Oh, God, we are launching Which Patreon. means that uh, maybe once or twice a month, I'm going to make BJ sit down and watch some of the bad teen boy movies that I watched growing up. Most of which don't star teen boys because so much of them have to do with sex and you mm-hmm. can't really film stuff about 15-year-olds having sex. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be... It's going to be interesting. Maybe you should subscribe to our Patreon and uh, hopefully you enjoy what you see there. Yes, that's a, that is a thing. So after after some discussions on social media, we have decided we have launched a Patreon and with the Patreon will come some really fun exclusives like Harmony's going to make some playlists because she is, you know, 
queen bee at making music and making cool things for you. I don't make music. I just curate it. Okay, yes, you curate <laughs> them. Um, but yes, uh, we will be doing mini-sodes where Harmony shows me teen boy movies, and I painfully have to figure out why she loves them so much. It's going to be torture for me. I'm very excited. If you are into hearing me tortured, this is... This is your chance, haters. You can enjoy this. Queen of <laughs> Trash, and not all of them are bad. Most I... of them are bad. You don't know that. <laughs> we haven't even watched a lot of them yet. That said, I'm gonna we're gonna start with the new guy because yes, yes, we've we already are. watched it, and I bought that bootleg on accident, so we might as well get some use out of it. Yeah, so we will be watching the new guy. So subscribe to our Patreon. It helps us, you know, keep the show going because as as we've noted before, we record this in house. Harmony edits all of it herself. Um, the Patreon just helps us keep going because it it takes a while. It takes a while to do this, and we want to keep doing this for you and. Uh, the, those extra couple of bucks help us justify spending hours and hours doing this when we could, you know, be doing something that would make us more money. But we do this because we love you and we love doing it and we love providing it's, it's this. It's fun. I, I like talking for, you know, the listeners. I like having conversations with you. We learn about stuff together, like all of us. Mm-hmm. And like, that's, that's really nice. We're on this journey together. Yeah. Well, that take that takes us out. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at the Sunset Prom. You can follow me at BJ Colangelo on Twitter and Instagram. Harmony, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor. Make sure the underscores are in there. As always, we want to do a humongous thank you to our friends, the Sonderbombs, for allowing us the title track title for our theme song. Get their music on Spotify, Bandcamp, wherever it is that you consume your media. Make sure that you are following them on Spotify, Bandcamp, and social media. Just because they're also fun. Well, one, they're really fun, and it also keep you updates when they release new music, which they, you know, they do, and it's great. <laughs> Very much so. All right, friends, that is a that is a wrap on Spooky Month. Rate, re- review, subscribe, join the Patreon, do all the things. Smash that bell. Smash that bell. We're not on YouTube. I love you. Bye. Burn more than the craft when we went into this month. No, I really fucking didn't, and I'm having a lot of feelings about it. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.